Any other questions or comments before we get started? Oh, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, what a joy. Whether you're ready for it or not, or whether you can do all of your normal traditions, it still comes. And uh, there was some talk amongst us pastors about, well, do we postpone Easter until that time that we gather together again? Um, and uh, no, uh, Easter is still Easter, uh, even with the changes that we have. Now, that being said, when we are able to worship together again, I know you want to be there, and I want to see you and be there with you. That service, we're going to blow the roof off this building. I'm just going to tell you right now. So our musicians are chomping at the bit, um, and I expect a packed house. I expect that uh, uh, all of you will be here, uh, you know, even if you got to wear masks or whatever. Once, once we're able to kind of do that, what a joy that's going to be to gather together here in the Lord's house, okay? All right. Um, we are studying the Saving Truth Doctrine for Lay People by Professor Marquardt. Um, yes, we are taking this Bible study quite slow, but uh, nobody has uh, given me any grief for that. Uh, we're really mining all of the wonderful little gold nuggets that he has, and, uh, and I, th I think it's been good here this last year. So we're, we're almost to a close. So I expect to finish this up here uh, probably uh, right before the summer uh, or sometime early summer. So any other questions or comments before I dive in? Okay, I really miss seeing all of your faces. Um, you know what you could do? I was thinking about this driving into church here this morning. Um, the next time you take, the next time you worship together as a family in your living room, take a selfie of you and your family. Email that to me, mmckay at adventlutheran.org. And what we can do is we can put together a slideshow that is private. So I can set up a private uh, YouTube uh, access. It's not public, and it'll only go out to our families, okay, meaning you have to have the link for that. So if you're comfortable with that, send us a picture of you and your family. Maybe your hair's grown a little longer. Maybe you're not wearing the makeup or you don't have everything dyed the way you want it. That's okay. We would love to see you, and that way we can put together a slideshow uh, and, you know, just kind of wave and say hi to all the rest of the Advent families. I thought maybe for next Sunday for Easter uh, or later this week, that was something we could work on from home pretty easy. Uh, so take a picture of you and your family. Do it today if you want. If you've got an Easter picture that you and your family takes, outside or inside, send that to us, uh, and we'll put together a little slideshow Maybe we'll put some whoop-de-doo music behind the slideshow, and uh, and that way you can kind of still see other people's faces. Okay. All right. Uh, we've got some healthcare workers in the congregation. Keep them in your prayers. Uh, that uh, are are you know both on the front lines and kind of working behind the scenes. And and obviously this last week, this week now, and probably next week, you know we're 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 pretty close to the peak from what everybody's saying. Um, I, I hope that's the case, that we're going to be on the downside of this thing pretty quickly. But uh, a lot of people are, are working so diligently. I talked to my sister uh, yesterday, she or texted me, um, and uh, her and her husband are doctors for uh, assisted living and nursing homes down in uh, Keller, Texas, Dallas, Texas area. And uh, they have now had their first reported cases of coronavirus there, which uh, are, have really changed, I mean, what what they're doing obviously so uh, those of you that are healthcare people that are listening you know what I'm talking about uh, and so my sister just asked for prayers I said you got them sis uh, the Lord uh, is with you so they've got like a clean room when they go into their house that they strip down and take clothes off but they got three little kids all under the age of what seven 
I think two or three up till seven or eight, nine. <laughs> they get big so fast. So, um, okay. That's it for now. I, oh, I saw something on the news with uh, RVs for doctors or RVs for docs. I thought that was kind of cool that some doctors that are serving on the front lines uh, having to uh, stay in an uh, RV, uh, you know, they can still kind of be by their home, obviously can't be with their family because they've been exposed, uh, that sort of thing, just for safety. So uh, lots of people doing work. First responders, we got some of those in the congregation. Uh, God bless all of you. You're not alone. The Lord is with you. So have no fear, little flock. Okay, enough of my introduction. Any other comments today? Nope, we're good. All right, let's begin with, uh, let me find the collect for the day here. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, the Father, through your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, you have overcome death and opened the gate of everlasting life to us. Grant that we who celebrate with joy the day of our Lord's resurrection may be raised from the death of sin by your life-giving Spirit. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Okay, we're picking up on page 137 uh, there in uh, Marquardt's book. Uh, this is uh, the chapter, I believe it's chapter 8, One Holy Church in Earth and on Heaven. Page 137, uh, last full paragraph. All things are yours, writes St. Paul to the church at Corinth, with special references to the public ministry among them, 1 Corinthians 3.21. As the bride of Christ, who is one with him, the church possesses all the treasures of salvation he has entrusted to her. And we've got some great passages there you can look through on your own. Ephesians 4, Ephesians 5, uh, Galatians 4. Uh, so Christ, who, you know, we confess in the creeds he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Right, And all of his en enemies have been made a footstool for his feet. So God the Father has now given all power, authority, and dominion to his son, Jesus Christ, okay? And that's why we confess and sing that he is king of kings and he is Lord of lords, okay? So God the Father has, has raised his son from the dead and now seated him at the right hand of the throne of God. And while there is still God the Father and there is still the Holy Spirit, power, dominion, and authority now flow through Christ who now gives his gifts. So kind of like with the old commercials, when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. When Jesus speaks, we need to listen. And that's why we pay attention to his mandate words. Words where he mandates and he tells the church to do things. Monday, Thursday, Mandatum Thursday, that's one of those. He mandated the Lord's Supper. And that's why we as pastors, we want to give you the Lord's body and blood. We don't want to give you the virus. But we are commanded by Jesus to give you the Lord's body and blood. So that's mandate. Same thing with baptism. Go and make disciples of all nations, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He tells the disciples as well, here's more mandate words, forgive sins. So thus we have the absolution. And so that's why, as you've learned from Luther's small catechism, we pay great attention as Lutheran Christians to those mandate words of what Christ is said to do because God the Father has given him authority, dominion, and power. So, the Catechism, the first part, Ten Commandments, Law, Apostles' Creed, Gospel, Lord's Prayer, which is really all about worship, okay, what Christ, and, and of course, he gives the Lord's Prayer. He tells you to pray this way, right? Uh, and then you've got the last half, or the second table of the Catechism. You've got Baptism, uh, Lord's Supper, and Confession Absolution. 
So those we would call the three sacraments, although of course absolution, confession absolution is kind of referred to as the Lutheran third sacrament because it doesn't have a physical, uh, a, a physical element to it. Baptism has water, Lord's Supper has bread and wine, absolution has the word of absolution, you know, there's no physical element that's attached to, okay? Question? I see my son shaking his head. Nothing. Okay. All right. You guys are still in your pajamas or sleeping in on Easter Sunday. That's fine. Let's pick back up with Marquardt. The ministry of distributing these saving riches, also known as the means of grace, the sacraments, is naturally part and parcel of the church's possessions. Clearly, therefore, the ministry is his and hers. This to her, her is the church, the bride of Christ, and she fills it accordingly to his command. And this is part of the reason that we have streamed the services at the time that we would normally worship. We could record everything ahead of time, which some churches are doing, and we could give you, we could give you 4K video. We could have phenomenal video if we recorded ahead of time. Why have we been streaming it, even though the quality isn't as nice as I would like it? Because I want you to know that the church is still doing what Christ has called her to do. Your pastors are still praying for you. Your pastors are still reading God's word. Even though, you know, the state has, quote, closed churches in terms of us gathering together, the church is still doing her work, okay? I also want you, uh, routine is so important, you know, <laughs> instead of just kind of, we live in such a fast food mentality where you just kind of pick what you want, when you want, go and get this. I wanted to make sure as your pastor and Pastor Grady as well that, hey, 8.15 on Sunday, we're live. Okay, If you're not up, yeah, you can, you can watch it another time. You want to go back and you want to review it, you want to watch it during the week, that's fine. But we're going to have our services, okay, and we're going to continue to do that. And if we weren't able to do that, we would just do it from our homes. But we would still have church, if you will. Sunday is still the Lord's Day. I'm not going to do Sunday service on Saturday. I'm not faulting pastors that have been doing that. I'm just saying this is still important. God's gifts are still here. Why? Because of what Marquardt is talking about. Okay. He has given the office to her, and she fills it according to his command. It is noteworthy that even the apostolic vacancy left by the death of Judas was filled not by the apostles acting alone, but by the whole embryonic church acting together, Acts 1. And keep in mind with, uh, with the election of Matthias, not my son who's running the camera there at the table, Matthias, the, uh, the, the 12th apostle or the 13th apostle, the one who replaced Judas, you know, they had a group of men who were qualified, and they were all qualified. And so uh, they pretty much uh, cast lots, if you will. So they just trusted that, hey, any of these guys would be good. Um, we're not going to pick one or the other. We're going to let the Lord guide the process, and, and we're going to do that. Okay. Um, some churches have done that for the calling of pastors in the, in, you know, at, at various times. You get three, four, five pastors that you think might be good when you have a vacancy, and, hey, they'll all be good. They're all a little different. Let's just roll the dice, cast lots. And that's not a bad way to do it. Sometimes we want to kind of manipulate things. That's interesting to see how the apostles did it. Um, you know, part of my dissertation on structure and governance is the whole concept of, of voting and, you know, rights and privileges, uh, which I've told you this before. There is no voting anywhere in the scripture. Voting doesn't exist. If you can find it, please show it to me that I may repent or that I may learn something. Um, but... <laughs> There, there is no voting. It's not about individual liberty. And so democracy has so invaded our church in some regards that uh, it's really taken away, I think, from our faith and trust that God will provide. 
you know, uh, in the new and all churches will have squabbles. They reason things out. They talk together. Okay. There's going to be difficulties just like, you know, husband and wife aren't always going to get along. You know, parents and children aren't always going to go along. You and your coworkers, uh, it's the same thing in the church, which is a family. And so the best thing to do is to work through those things. Sometimes it's tedious. Sometimes it takes some time, uh, but you need to do that. Okay. All right, let's move on. No individual or group in the church has a monopoly on the keys of the heaven-opening gospel. Let me read that again. No individual or group in the church has a monopoly on the keys of the heaven-opening gospel. This means that, you know, the church, or you might say the laity, is not supposed to lord it over the pastor. It also means that the pastor or pastors are not supposed to lord it over the people. The keys are given to the church, okay, and he's going to go on and talk about who exercises that on behalf of the church, and you probably already know that. That's the pastors. He goes on, these keys were given three times in the New Testament, once to Peter, that's Matthew 16, 19, once to the whole church, Matthew 18, 18, and once to the apostles, John 20, 23. Okay? By, the gifts, by the gift of Christ, therefore, the keys, and we speak of the keys, if you go to those scripture passages, Jesus talks about uh, a binding key and a loosing key. He says, whatever sins you forgive in heaven, they are forgiven on earth. Whatever sins you bind on earth, they're bound in heaven. Okay? Um, so you'll see some Lutheran artwork, some of you that have traveled for the Lutheran Heritage Tours. Uh, you go to uh, St. Mary's Church in Wittenberg, um, uh, one of my favorite altar pieces, uh, Cronach, uh, both the elder and the younger uh, painted that. Uh, and uh, you'll, you'll, see <laughs> uh, you'll see one of the pastors uh, you know, holding a key in each hand. And on one side is, is, a, is a, a man who's down on his knees and he's humble and he's repentant and he's being absolved. His sins are being loosed, right, uh, from him, taken away. And on the other hand is, is a guy standing off to the side and he's kind of at a distance with a scowl on his face. He's not repentant. He's not sorry. And the key is being used to bind him in his sin. He is not forgiven. He is stuck with his sin until he is repentant. Okay? So when we talk about the keys, plural, that's what we're talking about, the binding key and the loosing key. Okay? So by the gift of Christ, therefore, the keys belong originally to the church, the house mother of Christendom. And I love the way Marquardt talks uh, in terms of, of, of house mother, the bride of Christ. They are committed by her to her public service. And this is where we talk again, and we did this a few weeks ago. The ministry who are to exercise these keys officially and publicly on behalf of Christ and his one holy church. So who absolves sins publicly? The pastors. Okay. Uh, who preaches publicly? The pastors. Who teaches publicly? The pastors. Who consecrates publicly? The pastors. You get that? And that's all public. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean that the keys still aren't used or the sacramentally in various ways. So, for example, everybody asks, well, what about a Sunday school teacher? Well, that's not public. So we can have even a female teaching Sunday school because that's not a, a, a public work, that's a private work. It's also an extension of the parents who are now placing their children under the tutelage of that teacher. So the parents' authority is extending now to the teacher, which is really the same thing that's going on in your school. Okay, um, So you know, we want to always keep these things uh, proper and according to God's good order. Okay. Um, 
Two hard to exercise, one holy church. The ministry is also accountable to the church on the basis of God's word. And so that's why we as pastors give reports to council. We do this uh, every month in some way, shape, or form, whether written or oral. When we gather together as a church for a voter's assembly, you receive reports uh, from us as pastors, what we've been doing. We have a board of elders uh, that uh, you, you might say not only keeps an eye on what we're doing, um, so you know any questions about us pastors certainly come to us, but the elders are there as well, uh, so they are aware of what we're doing and how we're doing it because there's accountability there, okay? Um, and, and that also goes both ways. So if you serve in a position you know, in church, you're accountable then to the rest of the church. It's no different than in your job. Each of us have, you might say, a boss in some way, shape, or form, or someone that we have to answer to. Um, so same thing. Uh, Marquardt continues. Since the church alone possesses the priesthood, she certainly has the right of electing and ordaining ministers. The church, however, consists neither of the people by themselves nor the ministers by themselves, but rather hearers and preachers together. Neither flocks nor shepherds may act without due regard for each other. Okay, um, So, well, let's go on. On one hand, the ministry belongs to and is conferred by the church. The ministry has no powers other than those given by Christ to his church for public exercise through his and her ministry. I had a gentleman, I was just a year out of seminary down in Arkansas, and a wonderful you know, Christian man, and he came to me and he said, uh, God has told me that uh, um, I should be a pastor. I said, great. Th thanks be to God that you've got this you know, inner calling. Um, so now let's, 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 ex let's examine you. Let me get to know you. Um, and uh, let's take a look at seminary and get you sent off for training. Let the church examine you and do that. He goes, oh, no, 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 pastor. He goes, I don't need to go through seminary. I'm a pastor already. I said, no, you're not. I said, the church hasn't recognized that you have those gifts. You haven't been trained. You haven't been examined. Um, you haven't been ordained. No church has called. Nope, I'm a pastor. And so, thankfully, he studied with me for two, three months, but he would not get rid of this false understanding of what that meant uh, to be a shepherd. And really what it was was a, was a, was a complete lack of understanding on his part of who the church was, okay? Um, so long story short, he ends up getting ordained online by some Lutheran body based out east. I can't even remember the name of it. And, um, you know, and it, he doesn't even go through any training, any examination. And, and uh, we, we stop meeting. He comes back a month later, and he's got a business card, and he's wearing a collar, and he's so excited that he's a pastor. But he doesn't know anything. And so, <laughs> you know, that's why we have the order for that. Okay, um, and okay, I could tell you other stories, but that's enough for now. So on the other hand, barring emergencies, the church acts publicly and officially through her ministry. In calling men to the ministerial office, therefore, the churches act, quote, with the participation of their pastors. So as the public teachers of the church, the pastors have the primary duty to examine the candidates in respect of their orthodoxy and of their ability to teach. And that's what the church is called to do. First Timothy three, Titus one, second Timothy two. So, you know, I had always kind of felt an inner calling to be a pastor. I've told you about this before. Uh, always thought pastors were perfect, uh, and that I there's no way I could be that guy. Uh, the Holy Spirit kept working on me uh, through other pastors, through teachers, through family, and finally I, I gave in. And so the first thing then after I kind of made 
application through the district was we had what was called uh, uh, an interview with the district. And so we sat down uh, with the, it wasn't the district president, it would have been, I think, a vice president at the time, as well as one or two of our pastors. And, and, and they simply examined me. Uh, and they also brought my wife in as well. They examined us. So, you know, and we were involved in the church, so we kind of had a track record there. But, you know, they, their job was to determine whether or not uh, I was fit to even go to seminary to train. And so, <laughs> for better or for worse, they gave their blessing. So then I had to go through the application process with the seminary. And the seminary has its own application you know, process. So even with our seminary, you have to pass qualifications, not only in, in languages, uh, depending on what track you're on, uh, but Christian doctrine, Old Testament history, New Testament history, um, before you're officially been to the seminary, before your coursework begins. And then, of course, throughout seminary, you have continued examination of you as a candidate. Um, so that, that's process. So I had a lot of men that I started seminary with that, uh, uh, for one reason or another, did not finish their training nor become pastors. Um, so uh, so that, that, that's all part of it. Okay. Any questions? Nope. They're all asleep. Okay. That's fine. Okay. Um, let's see, let's go on. The qualifications for the public minister are clearly set out in the New Testament. For in instance, that the office cannot be committed to a woman. This is, again, public authority. Okay, uh, All of us probably have ELCA uh, relatives, and you know they have women pastors. Most denominations in the United States have women as pastors now. Um, and that is a complete misunderstanding of Scripture. Uh, that is not letting God's Word speak as to what it speaks to. Uh, and that is, uh, you know, uh, faulty interpretation. So scripture is very clear that a woman is not to have authority over a man publicly. Uh, also in qualifications for the office, uh, that uh, that person is to be a man. You're in the Missouri Synod in the midst of the crazy culture wars that are going on. Okay. Um, so the qualifications for the public minister are clearly set out. Uh, office cannot be committed to a woman. A qualified candidate, Mark Hart continues, having been chosen by the public, is publicly placed into his office by the church through the public ministry. The laying on of hands, although not a divinely commanded action, is a good custom dating back to the apostolic era church. Okay, So when does a church call a pastor? When they gather together and then uh, <laughs> they vote. Don't get me started on the voting, but you know they choose together. They say, we, we extend a call to this man. So for example, when you did that as a voters meeting for me over a year and a half ago, and you sent me paperwork, then that was uh, the valid call at that time. Okay, question. Two questions. Number one, first question. This is a long one, okay. Okay, let me see if I can summarize that question that I just heard. In the, in the past, God not only spoke directly to his people, but through the law. Uh, and let me see if I can wade through the question, how do we know how God is speaking to us still today in these post-apostolic times? Since he doesn't speak directly to me as he did to Paul uh, or to the apostles. Is, is that your question? If so, say yes. Okay, um, reply back yes. 
Um, and I would come back with scripture. In the past, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but now he's spoken to us through his son. So where and how do we know God is speaking? He's spoken through Jesus. And thanks for the question. This comes back to the right hand of authority. And that's why the mandating side of what Christ has said is so important. So what is the church to do? Do what Christ has said to do. Does that leave some gray area? Oh, yeah. Of course it does. And that's part of why we have some of the variances within the churches themselves. Okay. But the New Testament is just as efficacious as is the Old Testament. The Old Testament, of course, points forward to Christ. The New Testament now tells of Christ who has come, and they are to be, they are to be read together. I think they want a little deeper answer than that, but was there a, was there a follow-up on that question? Okay, so let me, let me finish up with the first question. So everything we have to do is, is, is go back to Scripture. Where Scripture speaks, we must be conservative, where Scripture speaks, we must be firm and clear on this rock, this foundation. Okay, Where Scripture does not speak, then we talk about, and our Lutheran confessions speak this way, adiaphora, things that are not commanded uh, nor forbidden. And that's where the church then would have freedom in some of these things. Okay, All right, second question. With the church needing more pastors, have the qualifications been relaxed to uh, get more men into the ministry? Yes and no. Um, the best form of education for a pastor is the residential track. Always been. Uh, keep in mind, you know, just look back scripturally how long the apostles spent with Jesus before they really kind of served as pastors on their own. It's like three years. Uh, Paul, uh, after he after Jesus appeared to him um, on the Damascus Road, he spends basically three years uh, before he kind of begins his public ministry. So we have some evidence of this continued training and need for examination, and that's very important uh, to, to learn, to gain a body of knowledge, to acquire a skill set for public speaking, for teaching, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so the residential education, which is, is normally four years, is the best way to provide pastors. Okay? Um, now, what are the other tracks we have? We have what's called an alternate route, and that's actually the route that Pastor Grady uh, took. Uh, so that's a route that does not uh, end with uh, earning a Master's of Divinity, which is the typical degree from the seminary. It ends with certification to be ordained and to be a pastor. Okay. So Pastor Grady is just as much of a pastor as I am. Uh, he went uh, to seminary about one year less, roughly, uh, than I did in terms of classes and coursework, and he does not have a Master's of Divinity. Um, it doesn't make him any less or any more of a pastor, if you will, in terms of ordination and power and authority and all that. Um, so that's one way that uh, some gentlemen that are a little older, they're not really concerned about the degree, they're not looking at a long career. That's one, that's the first way the church has tried to turn out pastors a little faster. The second way, um, and this has been around since uh, 2007, I actually was there at the convention in Houston, Texas, when this came into being, we have what's called the uh, specific ministry uh, pastor, uh, the SMP process. And that's where you might have a man at the church uh, who he works full-time in another job, he's qualified for an office, he can't, for whatever reason, go and move to the seminary. 
Uh, and so the training is done through online courses. Uh, he starts doing kind of vicarage work, internship work at the congregation he serves. Um, that process has actually gotten a little more detailed because we found in the synod that some of the initial process for that was kind of weak with some of the classes and we just weren't turning out as knowledgeable uh, types of pastors or training as we would like, okay? Um, so those are kind of the three main ways to do it. The SMP, um, you know, you're, you're still really looking about a, a three-year three, three year process. Um, and um, that's, you know, we want pastors, it's kind of like pharmacists, if you, or if you go to a doctor, do you want a doctor who's taken a crash course in one year uh, and crammed four to eight years of medical training into one year? Or would you prefer a, prefer a doctor who's actually gone through all that? And I think you know the answer to that question. Um, so you know, we still want that for pastors. Uh, that's why we have, we have two funds here at church to, to help pastors uh, to pay for that. Currently, both of our seminaries are actually tuition-free thanks to wonderful gifts and endowments that have been set up. So there's a number of things we've done in the church to try and encourage men to do that. We also have a lot of churches that are just, especially in rural areas, that are just smaller and, uh, you know, are closing down or having to join. The Lord will provide. You know, I have heard the whole chicken little, the sky is falling chant for over 20, 25 years now, both as a layman and as a pastor. And <laughs> I remember at one point somebody tell, this would have been back in the late 90s, somebody said by 2010, you know, we're going to have X amount of churches without pastors, and it's going to be, and 2010 came and went, and somehow the Lord still provided. This is why we need to support our seminaries and encourage men to consider ministry. Okay, a uh, question here from the audience. Okay, another question. Oh, clarification. Thank you for that. This is tough through this medium, so I apologize if I misunderstood you in any way. Oh, good question. Isn't it, say that, read that one more time. Isn't it misleading to cast lots in a church setting because it insinuates that God is speaking to us through casting lots. I guess it would depend on, on whether you would insinuate that God is speaking through casting lots or you simply have faith and trust that God is going to provide, right? So I, th I think there's a difference. I don't know that I would say God is speaking to us. We are free to call who we'd want to call, okay? So in that sense, don't, don't misunderstand me too much. I'm not saying that that, you know, churches should completely change the process for calling pastors. I question sometimes the pastor where faith is in all of that, right? Because I've seen lay people, when a vote doesn't go their way at council or at voters or that sort of thing, they just want to take their toys and go home. Their feelings are hurt. You know, they felt really strongly about something, and the majority got it. Um, and, you know, so... Where's faith in the midst of all that? Where is faith to trust that God will provide? Um, and so do we say that God still speaks through the church? Yes, we do. So when the church together then elects that man, whether it's by voting or casting lots, we actually say that. Check the Lutheran confessions, and you'll see that when the church calls a candidate, 
they will say now that God through the church has called the candidate in the same way that we also say that God is speaking through the mouth of our pastors who absolves you. Jesus does. Whose mouth is he using? The pastors. Is God speaking to you? Yes, he is. But he's speaking through ways that he says he speaks. And that's Marquardt's point that, that, you know, these are done through the church. They're not done separately apart from it. Okay. Um, So as a pastor, I'm not just speaking as an ordained pastor. I'm speaking as your pastor called to this place. So if I don't have a call to a church to speak that word, um, then it's not my job to speak publicly in that regards. Okay? Then I'm no longer a pastor. I might be a reverend with a master's of divinity and I've been ordained. Okay? Everything flows through the church. Okay? This is why, for example, up at the seminary, uh, when they have the sacrament, they have a sponsoring congregation for whenever they have the Lord's Supper. Okay? Uh, because they understand that the authority then to do that doesn't come to the seminary. Because technically the seminary is not, you know, a, a church or a body of believers. There are people called the seminary as teachers that are pastors, if you will, or ordained. But it, it comes through pulpit, altar, and font ministry. And that's kind of what Marquardt's getting at. Is there a follow-up to that? Okay. Okay. Uh, what do we got here? We got a couple minutes. Let's see if we can make a little more progress here in Marquardt. Um, hope you're learning something, and if I haven't answered your questions correctly, I apologize for that. Uh, let's see, qualified candidate, laying on of hands. So when you see the laying on of hands at ordination, um, you don't you don't have to lay hands. That's just a custom. Again, the process of calling an ordination is when a church does that. So coming out of seminary, I had to be approved by the seminary that I was fit for ministry. Then I had to receive a call from a church. Okay. And then once those things took place, then I was ordained. And I've got a certificate of my ordination in the office uh, that the church, you know, that I, you know, I've also got the stuff from the seminary. Um, and uh, so that reminds me of, of how God works, speaks through the church. Okay. Uh, and that's part of my faith that trusts that, you know, I didn't just become a pastor on my own. Um, you know, that there was approval and process for that, okay? Sometimes when I'm really depressed and I question, I'm a really bad pastor (laughs) or I'm not fit for this office, Um, and and pastors have those thoughts uh, more often than you may realize. Uh, You just feel like you're not, you're you're never doing enough. You're not not doing it. Um, And then it's very comforting to come back and say, hey, um, you know, God has said that this is what I'm to do, and I've been called and I've been examined. Now I just need to buck up and get to work and stop having a pity party. Um, so that happens to all of us. Okay. So all of this, uh, Marquardt says, this act, therefore, ordination is a fitting part of the public inauguration of the office laying on of hands. While ministers, he continues, are called to partic- particular congregations or fields of service, they may later be called elsewhere. Okay. So I was ordained in 2004, so we're, what, 2016 years ago. And so now this is my third call or third parish that I've served as a pastor. Okay. Um, therefore, the whole church has a stake in who is admitted into the ministry. Congregations must take proper accounts of this legitimate interest of their sister congregations. CFW Walther, actually, when a pastor is considering a call, he actually encourages the calling congregation to write a letter to the congregation that the pastor is at and asking them to consider letting him accept that call, okay? I'm not sure that ever happens in the Missouri Synod, 
uh, anymore. Uh, it never did in any of any of my calls. Uh, but that certainly needs to be taken into into consideration. You know, you might have a guy that you really want as pastor. Well, you also need to ask the question: Okay, we want him or we like him, but you know, maybe he needs to stay where he's at for the sake of that congregation. Um, you know, what is that congregation? I'm so focused on herself that she doesn't look at the larger picture of where the needs really are. Okay, so all that needs to be part of it, and a good vacancy pastor, uh, you know, will help guide a congregation that's calling in that regards as well. Okay, we have to be very careful not putting too much of our spin on it. Um, and that's where, again, God is speaking, you know, through that process. And then whatever decision is made, you say, hey, God's spoken, let's move on. And I trust that God's going to provide, okay? Um, therefore, the whole church has a stake in who is admitted. Congregations need to take into account uh, the interest of sister congregations. An Orthodox, Orthodox minister in one place is recognized as such by the entire Orthodox church everywhere. This double aspect of a ministry in one place but recognized in all places, is reflected in our liturgical language. Quote, ordination, end quote, signals a man's entry into the ministry as a lifelong work. Right? It happens only once. Installation, or investiture, places a minister into his particular charge. Of course, that may happen repeatedly. Okay? So that's why we can still have retired pastors that they're not technically called, invested, or installed at a place, but they're still ordained. Right. So they're still able to serve and help. And that's a great blessing for churches. It's a great blessing for us when, you know, one or both of us, you know, get sick or need to be going on vacation or something comes up. Uh, we've got, you know, uh, three, four wonderful retired pastors here in this congregation that are willing to help out in various ways. Same thing with Pastor Feeney going down to the Cayman Islands this last year. Um, and actually, I think Pastor Ullman was supposed to do that, but now with the coronavirus, not able to. Uh, you know, God bless you guys. Uh, thank you for your willingness to still help and serve and to do some of those things. Okay. Now, the evangelical understanding of the ministry differs from both Roman Catholic traditionalism, we'll finish with this paragraph and then we'll be done, and Reformed Biblicism. Rome holds that the traditional division of the ministry into bishops, presbyters, and deacons exists by divine command and institution. Eastern Orthodoxy and the Anglican Communion largely share that view. The Reformed, for their part, hold the New Testament prescribes a particular form of church or polity, although they differ among themselves about exactly what the form is. Okay, So uh, Presbyterianism uh, actually gets its term from that structure that they believe comes from Scripture of a presbytery. Same thing with, with Methodism. Um, that, that means part of the method and the, the way to faith. Okay, let me move on so we can wrap up. Um, it is typical of the Reformed approach to see a number of different offices divinely established in the New Testament than to try and copy just these offices for today's church life. The Lutheran Reformation, by contrast, recognized that no uniform pattern of offices can be found in the New Testament and that behind the variety of forms lies basically one office for the gospel and sacraments. So when the seven were chosen in Acts 6, for instance, this did not signal the creation of a new divinely prescribed office. Rather, the church acted in Christian liberty to make provision for very important practical needs, precisely in order that one divinely established office of the gospel, das Amt, might devote itself to the ministry of the word of God. Okay, there's some questions about that last paragraph. Marquardt's going to flesh that out a little bit. 
in terms of uh, how we have this this understanding, you know, once ordained, you know, always ordained, if you will, unless removed. Uh, but we don't have these different levels, you know, of ordination, okay, um, that we see in other churches, Roman Catholic uh, or uh, Reformed Biblicism. Okay, enough about that. Any closing questions? We want just a little longer? Okay. Uh, good to uh, see you guys today. I uh, pray that you have a, a blessed Easter and Holy Week. Remember, uh, don't come to church this week at all. Don't even drive through the parking lot because we'll be under construction. And thanks be to God for that generous gift. We'll have a wonderful new sparkling parking lot uh, for you to come back to when we're able to worship together again. Okay, uh, let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, thank you for the gifts that you so freely give the gifts of word and of sacrament. We thank you for the gift of both uh, uh, church, uh, which is also uh, pastors and laity together. Uh, bless us as we continue in our understanding of your holy word, that we would hear you uh, where and how and when you still speak today, namely through your word and sacraments. Bless us as we are apart from one another. Fill us with hope and joy and teach us, dear Lord, to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Christ is risen. Amen. Peace be with you.